Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, coming to you between two very important games for the Detroit Pistons. Last night's win over the over the Orlando Magic, a big win for the Pistons. It takes their magic number to one. One game standing between the Pistons now and the playoffs. Uh, a lot to talk about as we get ready for the Wizards game, the rest of the regular season schedule, and start to look at the playoffs. Things are starting to fall into place for the Pistons, but there's still a lot of questions. And because there's so many questions, uh, we're going to turn over to a mailbag a little later and uh, get to your questions. Uh, I know so many of you who listen to this and support this have brought us some great questions this week, so we'll go through and break down as much as we can. Uh, and thank you to continuing to support this podcast on our SB Nation site, DetroitBadBoys.com. And also make sure to subscribe if you haven't by now through iTunes. Uh, so let's get going. We've got a lot to cover this week. And joining me as he does for every podcast is Ben Gulker. How are you, Ben? Doing great. One game. I can't believe it. It's been, what, seven years? Eight years? I'm excited. It's going to be a fun spring. Yes, we're getting very close to erasing the Eastern Conference's biggest playoff drought. Very exciting. Getting back to where we should be. Uh, and joining us this week also, uh, what part of the world are you in right now, Quags? Uh, Sydney. You're in Sydney. Okay. So joining us from Sydney where it's tomorrow, uh, today currently, right? (laughs) Yeah. 10 a.m. 10 a.m. Awesome. Okay, cool. So joining us as he's known on Detroit bad boys from all the way in Sydney is Quags. How are you Quags? I'm good. It's, it's weird actually being good. I just don't know how to process this right now. Yeah. It's, it's a lot to process. That's for sure. Um, not sure if either of you got to see the game last night. I'm just, I'll start with initial thoughts on the magic game and anything uh, that you were able to take away from that. Ben, did you get to see the game? Gawker? <laughs> I was going to say, which one? <laughs> right. Yeah. How about Reggie Bullock? That's the takeaway for me. Um, his number's called, he's ready. He's been ready every time he's got a chance this season and, uh, maybe a permanent rotation switch over Stanley Johnson, at least for the rest of the season. And I like it. Uh, I like it. That's my takeaway from the Magic game. We needed shooting. We've needed shooting all year. Uh, and maybe Reggie's the guy that's uh, going to give it to us uh, down the stretch into the playoffs. And Quags, did you uh, get to see the game or any takeaways from just how the Pistons have played recently? I did watch it. Um, my, my main thing was it, it was like most of our games recently. We started off pretty terribly, really slow. There was no energy. And then just all out of nowhere, somehow we get a victory. So, I mean, if we're going to play like that, if we make the playoffs, I'm not going to be too confident. But, you know, wins are wins, so I can't really complain too much. And, yeah, Bullock, I wouldn't say he's probably going to be permanently switched in for Johnson, but maybe Tolliver's minutes start going down. I guess we'll just have to wait and see how that turns out. Oh, that's interesting. You think it would affect Tolliver's minutes in the in the rotation? 
I mean, yeah, it, it, especially if his three-point shot isn't falling, I don't see the, the value because that's basically what he's in there for. So if his shot starts to clank around, then we might have to go a bit smaller just to maybe capitalise on athleticism and running more than standing around shooting. And switching Morris over to the backup four minutes, is that what you're thinking? Yeah, he'll probably take the majority of those. Maybe Stanley, if need be, small ball. I don't really like that, though, but I guess it could possibly work when other teams go small. Yeah, I think it's a good idea, and I know we've liked the looks. I, we've talked about it on the podcast, uh, the few looks we've seen of Marcus Morris at the four. Uh, and really, the only time we got to see that was because of injuries when there were some switches to uh, the rotation. But it does seem like Stan Van is trying to get a good feel of where everyone is so he can start to lock in that playoff rotation uh, for the first round, which, you know, now just a few weeks away, if that's okay. Um, okay. That's good. Uh, so, Ben, what do you think of the bench rotation right now? The bench was big in the Orlando game, and they've actually had some good moments over the last month or so of basketball. Uh, is there a switch you see the team needs to make uh, before we get to the playoffs? Well, I mean, I think the bench has had its moments lately. I think it's worth pointing it out because we've been so hard on them. I think deservedly so all season. Uh, Aaron Baines has had some some really nice games of late, uh, so so credit to him. Um, the only the only thing that seems like a switch to me is Bullock, and I think that's a good switch. I I'm excited about Stanley Johnson's future. I think he's got a great body, great athleticism, and, and lots of really raw skills. Uh, but realistically, he just has not been that good this year. Yeah. He's shooting 37 percent from the field overall, um, struggling with his decision making, really pressing. Pretty consistently solid on defense, but on the offensive side of the ball, just kind of all over the place. And uh, I think right now, I like giving Bullock a look. I think, as I mentioned, shooting has been a critical part of our our, uh, success and failure all year long. And kind of going by the numbers on that, in our wins this year, the Pistons have shot 38.5% from deep. In losses, the Pistons have shot 29.4% from deep. And over the last three... We can map that onto wins and losses against the Bulls, 50%, 10 out of 20. Come out of Chicago with a win. Against Miami, 5 of 21 for 24%. Come out with a loss. Against Orlando, 11 for 27 for 40%. And again, that's a win. So uh, because three-point shooting has been so important to success or failure, I think giving Bullock a shot here uh, in these last few games to prove that he could be part of a successful playoff rotation uh, is a a smart move. It's a risk worth taking, I think. Yeah, and uh, we took a bit of a risk with him already with picking up the option. What did you think of the move to pick up the option for Bullock going into next season? I think it's smart. I think there's almost no downside. Um, His shooting makes him worth having on the roster for no other reason, and I think as as Van Gundy's comments made clear after the game, he's not a player who's going to hurt you. So he's going to be solid in other areas of the game, and when he shoots well – he can be a really pretty dangerous weapon, and defenses have to account for him. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's kind of a no-brainer to pick up the option. I think that makes sense. Yeah, I think it's a good move as well. And uh, I think, you know, no if, even if he can't play his way into a similar role next year, if Stanley Johnson in year two looks a little better and he's having to share his minutes and he ends up being the 10th man on the bench or so, you look at the contract, the way he plays – and just like what you said, we can rely on him for stretches. So if we do have injuries next season, you know you've got someone that you can rely on. And I think that's important when you're starting to to build this roster and put 13 guys together for a season. 
Uh, I think Reggie Bullock's a nice piece. I think he's a really nice piece going forward. Oh, Stanley. Stanley now seeing a decrease in minutes. Uh, part of it is the poor play. Quags, do you think there's something in Stanley's game that he needs to work on this summer? Like, if there's just one thing he focuses on, what what do you think it is right now for Stanley? Not getting called for a thousand offensive fouls every game would be my main concern. <laughs> but if we're being, in terms of a skill standpoint, I, I would say, well, what would I say? Probably a mix of, he hasn't got the one major weakness, but he's got, he's like not particularly strong at one thing either. So mm-hmm. I would say shooting's probably the big one because if he's going to be a, a future wing, potentially as a starter, he's going to have to shoot better than, what was it, 37% you said overall? So that that's a big concern, I would say. Yeah, and I think there's reason, reason to be optimistic there. He's shooting almost 80% from the line. And typically when you see guys shoot that well from the line, it means uh, they're capable of, of shooting much better than Stanley is shooting. So. It's not totally broken. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I saw something recently that uh, Hoops Hype, they always do the redrafts, and they did a... Uh, a too early, and I'm glad they called it a too early redraft of you know the 2015 NBA draft uh, with Stanley falling, I think, into the 20s, uh, and they still had Justice Winslow ahead of him. Uh, and I know that was a big controversy uh, draft night, the decision to take Stanley Johnson over Justice Winslow. Looking at Winslow's numbers, and Ben, I'm not sure if you've have looked at all. Justice really isn't playing that much better. Uh, this the pick of Stanley Johnson. Are you still happy with it? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, between the two of them, you know, I, like I've talked about before, I'm not a huge college basketball fan like some of the other guys on the blog are, but my evaluation of the two of them last year was that they were pretty much equal. I mean, it just depends on the kind of player you want and the, the skills that you might prefer one over the other. And I think for Van Gundy, a big part of it was attitude and work ethic. Yeah. So, yeah, when you look at their production, I don't think either of them have lit the world on fire this year. Justice has probably been a, a bit better, but... I mean, Stanley's still got a world of potential, and he's almost a full year younger than Winslow is. So I still like the pick long-term, absolutely. Quags, what about you? Do you question the pick going long-term, or, or do you like it so far? I mean, I like it. I like Johnson. If I was to question it, it wouldn't be for Winslow. There, there would be two other guys I would want before Winslow that went after, and that would be Devin Booker and Miles Turner mm-hmm. um, before Winslow, because Winslow's shot abysmally, I think he's in the 20s from three. Yeah. yeah maybe even in the teens. And I mean, he, everyone's saying, oh, oh, he's such an amazing defender. That's why he gets such good minutes. Yeah. But if you're going to be an absolute negative on offense, you really need to be absolute lockdown. And he's a rookie, so he's not there yet. And also, I mean, he's got all his friends in Miami, so why, why should we care about him? Yeah, and Devin Booker, I think he's a guy who might have made some sense. Um, obviously a pretty fantastic shooter and he's carved out a nice little role for himself in Phoenix. And again, super young. I think he's basically the same age as Stanley. So if you were redoing it, yeah, I think that would be the guy I look at as well. Kind of like the reverse Winslow though. Like he's really got an offense and a negative on defense. So it's trade off. What do you want? Yeah, no, it's very true. I, I think Booker, I'm sure a lot of Pistons fans want Booker, but you have to you have to go back to the draft and and think about the Pistons position when we had a healthy Jody Meeks KCP going into his third year and seeing Devin Booker as someone who really could only play the two spot. I think it was pretty clear that most scouts saw him as just a two at that point in his career. I, I think Stanley Johnson 
fit a need and also was someone that fit the roster on draft day. So sure, the, the injury to Jody Meeks makes the team look a little different. And yeah, it would be great to have Devin Booker, but that just wasn't the spot we were in on draft day. And it's something I think we have to keep in mind. Uh, but Quags, I think it's a great point about Justice Winslow. He, I, I keep hearing that he's a great defender. I know it's tough to kind of quantify that sometimes, but I don't see it. I just don't quite see it in his game. I haven't seen a lot of the heat, but in the times I've seen Justice Winslow on the floor, he's not a lockdown defender. And you're right. If you're going to shoot that poorly and not contribute offensively, you really have to be Tony Allen. You really have to give everything on that defensive end and lock down the best wing player. And he's he's not doing that. Maybe he will one day, but for right now, it just it seems like he's at such a loss offensively that it doesn't matter what he's doing defensively. Yeah, and even Tony Allen will have his 30 points on all layups type games for, <laughs> right. some, for some unknown reason. I don't think Winslow's going to be a bad player at all. I, I quite like him. I'm just, in terms of, I'm a Pistons fan, so I have to hate him because we've got Stanley. Um, <laughs> but I, I, don't th- I think he will improve eventually into some, because he shot 38%, no, 41%, I think, in, in his one season at Duke. So there's some sort of history that he could possibly emulate that. So I don't think he's a lost cause offensively just yet, but if he doesn't improve soon, then he might be relegated to that sort of the Andre Robertson type startup where he just defends and then stands in the corner and gets helped off. Yeah, that's a good probably floor comparison for him right now. Uh, but again, right now he's 20 years old and in his rookie season might be pressing in a bit on a team that has yeah. a lot of veterans. So I can understand he's trying to earn those minutes that he's been given. Yeah, and look quick at point Josh of comparison. Out of Sorry. No, I was just saying a quick point of comparison. We're talking about offense. Um, neither player, Stanley or Justice, is particularly good on offense right now. But Justice actually has the ads in, in terms of true shooting percentage, which is that fancy metric that pulls in free throws and three-point shots to give you a, a more accurate view. And, and Stanley's actually three per percentage points behind. So oh, that's... Uh, just puts it in context a little bit. That's heartbreaking. I thought the, the three-point shooting, just the difference in that, and it's not a big difference, would be enough that Stanley would be having a better year from a, a statistic like that. But, wow, that's it does kind of put in perspective the, the struggles that Stanley Johnson has had this season. Three games left on the NBA season. Uh, we've got home game with the Wizards tomorrow at 7.30. Uh, the Heat in, in town Tuesday. Uh, for the home finale, and then on the road to end the season, back-to-back uh, to, back to end the season. Thank you again, NBA Scheduling Department. That is uh, at Cleveland. Again, it's a situation where they might be resting their starters. Could be a good situation. Uh, the playoffs it are not... so Detroit if they didn't, though, wouldn't it? Yes, it really would. <laughs> it really would. Uh, the playoffs are not a, a lock. I, I know 538 put out their new playoff odds this morning, and the Pistons are a 96% uh, favorite to make the playoffs in the eighth spot in the Eastern Conference. Is there any concern that either of you have about us not making the playoffs? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say yes because – so thinking back about shooting, when this team shoots the ball poorly from deep, they lose almost all the time. And it's it's very possible to shoot the ball poorly three games in a row from deep. We've seen it happen multiple times this season. So, yeah, I mean, 96% playoff odds or whatever. The chances are extremely small that that happens. But there's a remote possibility that happens. And if, for whatever reason, 
we struggle against Washington in our next game, um, the pessimist in me is going to be um, talking on my shoulder and telling me to worry <laughs> a little bit, I think. Jackson and then a bunch of bench players. So in terms of who actually matters, until we're actually in, I'm going to be sitting on the edge of my seat, biting my nails until <laughs> 538 has it at 100. <laughs> right, until it's a guarantee. It is nice that that magic number is at one, so there are a few things we can root for. Wins, of course, and then Bulls losses. That, that of course, is the other thing, and those have been coming plenty over the last few months of the season. So, I, well, and Indiana losses, too. True, true Indiana losses as well. Yeah, that's another part of it. Well, considering their schedule, I, that's probably a highly unlikely that they're going to, you know, collapse completely, even though they're not very good right now. Right when they have, I think Brooklyn in their in their final stretch of four games, they've got they have some pretty winnable games to end their season. Uh, so I guess if we we have less concern about uh, getting into the playoffs, there is still a concern, but with less of a concern now, just thinking about playoff positioning, uh, the seven seed is still I think very much alive for the Pistons. Uh, the Eastern Conference race is just still so tight. Ben, do you think we would? benefit from winning out and moving up or do you see the eighth spot being good for the Pistons in a way because I know this has been uh, an argument I've seen on bad boys in the last few game threads that we want to be at eight Uh, do you feel that way yeah the fan in me definitely wants to be the eight seed and if for no other reason then uh, I am not at all LeBron James fan to put it to put it mildly (laughs) and uh, I think Either way, if you play the, the Cavs or if you play the Raptors on paper, as we've talked about, the Pistons are a long shot to win. Yeah. But if we're going to pull an upset, I would much rather send LeBron James home just because of my own personal fan preferences than the Raptors. So I'm totally cool if we stay with the eight seed. And I like that that's just from fan purposes. Uh, I, I look at the, the struggles that t- Toronto has had in the last two years in the playoffs and something about that tells me maybe this team is just not built for seven-game series, and maybe you can win the chess match, right? Maybe in a in a seven-game series we could find a way to win the chess match. But you're right. The idea of beating LeBron James in a home playoff game just is, would be so satisfying to me. I, I would love to see it if the Pistons get that opportunity. Yeah, and, and we've talked about this too. The, the Raptors have handle us pretty well this season. Yeah. But we've given Cleveland fits. So I even though on paper Cleveland is the much better team, I do like the matchup better against Cleveland than I do against Toronto. Sure. And Quags, this is actually a, a mailbag question, so we can talk about the comparison a bit. Uh Toronto or Cleveland, which do you prefer the Pistons play in the first round of the playoffs? In all honesty, I don't really care as long as we get in, but if I, I would probably rather say Cleveland purely because, yes, it would be fantastic to see LeBron leave early. Um, but I just want to see Aaron Baines against Matthew Dolovadova because for no other reason <laughs> than I like my Australians, and I just want to see that happen. <laughs> That's fair. But, yeah. But I mean, yeah, like I think we, in terms of matchups, see Cleveland's strength is probably in their front court with Love and LeBron. And I think that's probably our strength as well defensively. we can You can't really stop LeBron, but you can... Morris has done all right on him so far this season. Mm-hmm. But if we play against Toronto, their strength is in their back court, and one of them has to be guarded by Reggie, so we'd probably get absolutely murdered, whereas J.R. Smith's more of a catch-and-shoot 
catch-and-shoot type player, whereas Irving would probably be taken by KCP. So defensively, I'd probably rather play the Cavs. Yeah, I think that's a good point, just based on matchups. I, I, st- I agree. I think the Cavs are still a better matchup right now just on the, the matchups. And it it is proven through uh, how we've played them so far. And I think that bit of divisional rivalry, and I, I'm, I'm not someone who ever really buys into NBA rivalries. I don't think there are any that are that rich right now in the sport. But I think there's enough familiarity between the Pistons and Cavaliers that I think that's a situation where you could see an upset more than in a Toronto series, where Toronto probably has something to prove in the first round this year uh, with the issues they've had the last couple seasons in the playoffs. Yeah, and of course the history with LeBron and Pistons fans goes back, what, almost a decade now at this point. So even though a lot has changed between now and then, you know, the fans haven't forgotten about how LeBron James sort of put that going-to-work team uh, to bed a few years ago and and really kind of was responsible for knocking them out of their, you know, what was it, six straight conference championships or whatever it was. So there's definitely a lot of hard feelings there, at least on the fan side of things. Yeah, definitely. And again, it would just make it all, it would just feel so much better to see the Pistons uh, (laughs) uh, beat the the Cavs in a first round series. It would just, as a Pistons fan, just feel, I think it'd be a a nicer win than uh, over Toronto, which is a team that I I don't mind, where Cleveland is a team that I I have hated over the last decade. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I don't mind Toronto as a team. I just don't like when the fans come in and then, claimed they're the North and all that. Oh, yeah. It, it is pretty ridiculous. It, it's very annoying. And also, I think it's more likely that Stan Van Gundy would outcoach Tyron Lue in a series than Dwayne Casey, if that's worth anything. That's fair. I think a few years ago, uh, Dwayne Casey, I, I might have I might have uh, questioned that with Dwayne Casey, but I think his growth as a coach over the last few seasons, it's really been proven this year with the job he's done with this core team. Uh, I really like the job he's done as a coach this year. So I agree with you. I think Tyron Lue is, is the weaker of the two. Uh, and I would, would love to see what Stan Van could do in a seven-game series. And people have to remember the success Stan Van has had as a playoffs coach. Uh, but we'll get into that a bit in the mailbag. So if you guys don't mind, let's let's dive right in and get into some mailbag questions. Let's do it. All right. So yeah. these questions uh, came to us through Twitter today. All these questions came in today, so I appreciate it. Hashtag AskDBB. At any point, if you have a question, use that hashtag either on the website, DetroitBadBoys.com, or on Twitter. I'll make sure to c- collect as many of them as I can, and we'll run through them. Uh, so I'm just going to go in the order they came in. A few of these are a little different. Uh, but I'm not sure if either of you know your Shakespeare, but that's where we're starting. Okay. A few of them. Analyze. So this question came from Cam Newton. No, not that Cam Newton. At Cam B. Newton asks, if Van Gundy were a Shakespearean character, which one would he be? Any sort of sense. Do either of you have a sense of what, what type of Shakespearean character he would play? I've only read Shakespeare from high school, so... Yeah, Cam, this was not a great question. If I'm being, <laughs> if I'm so being honest, Cam, put a name on a character. You had one shot, Cam. Cam. Gundy. I think of him as the almost but not quite character, right? Like, <laughs> he, he was really successful in Miami. He was really successful in Orlando, but, you know, not quite good enough in Orlando. That's kind of how I've seen his career to date. So, I don't know. Whoever that character is in Shakespeare is who I would... Uh, the, the tragic almost hero? I'm not sure if that's a character or not. But If I had to pick one, just 
little light spark. I think I don't know if either of you have read Much Ado About Nothing. Probably not. It's not sure. One of the ones. Yeah, one of the comedies though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, there's a character in there called Benedict, not Benedict, Benedict, and he, he's like kind of the comic relief, everyone laughs at him type character. So it, I guess purely on that standpoint, because everyone likes to have a bit of a laugh. Every time we're on ESPN, the question's always, I'll oh, do your best stand band imitation. So in terms of pure comedy, I would go with that. Yeah, and if we had a chance to play Miami in the first round, I think you could say Hamlet. Because I think there's a there has to be a bit of bad blood about the Pat Riley situation and, and Stan Van uh, yeah. losing his job as the Heat head coach, and then a bit of a chance for revenge there, I think could make him a bit of a Hamlet character. Uh, if we were able to, to draw the heat in the playoffs. Which is probably very unlikely, but yeah. Yes, at this point, very unlikely. But uh, yeah, so that, that's, that's our first Twitter question. Moving on. Uh, it, was really left it really was. And a few of these were. Uh, <laughs> our next question comes from Alex Larnhart, at Alex Larnhart. Uh, although he's still 19 and a rookie, is Stanley Johnson is Stanley Johnson starting to concern everyone? I know we talked a bit about Stanley on the podcast, but... Uh, ben, are you concerned about any part of his game uh, in the long term? Is there is there a certain part of his game? I know I asked Quags about what he needs to work on, but is there a certain part of his game that you worry about? Well, worry is too strong of a term. I mean, he's nineteen. He's not. I mean, if the Pistons lose in the first round, he won't even have ter- turned twenty by the time his rookie season was over. So no, yeah, not worried. The two things he needs to improve, in my opinion, between now and next summer, in terms of just taking one step, if he can take only one step on the offensive side of the ball, I would want it to be either his shooting or his decision-making off the dribble. Those are the two areas, to me, where he gets in trouble, and a lot of times they're related to each other. So, you know, make a good play on defense, come up with a steal or a rebound, push the ball up the floor, and then go one-on-three, get caught in the air, and have to put up either a ridiculous shot or throw the ball out of bounds. Um, so shot selection, decision making, and I think if he gets better at that, his shooting percentage is going to go up because he'll be taking better shots as a result of being a better decision maker. But yeah, not worried, not yet. It's way too soon. Yeah, I agree, and I completely agree on the decision making. I think right now the uh, uncertainty he has in his offensive game leads him to just throw up some really bad shots and I would, I would much rather see him just throw up some really bad passes I would much rather just see him try to get teammates involved than put up some of the bricks that he's he's laid this season uh, so it's the decision making I would like to see him become a better passer a better teammate offensively find a way to work in around that Jackson Drummond pick and roll I think there's a spot for him in this offense uh, but he has to become a better teammate and that means better decision making uh, in the near future. And I think that's something he can work on and improve right away. Uh, moving on, this next question comes from uh, a young chap on Twitter who goes by at bad boy skip, Ben Quagliata. Uh, so I will go right to you, sir. Ask that Australian guy if the water flushes the other way. And I have this question as well. Does the water flush the other way? You were very close on the last name. Um, secondly, <laughs> I actually have no idea. I don't observe it. <laughs> Uh, I, I kind of, I'll go flush it right now if you want me to. Yeah, so that makes for really great podcast. Only if you take your computer in there with you so we can hear it. Yes. It's um, the only way we can believe you. <laughs> so if I was close on the last name, how do you pronounce the last name? Uh, the G is silent. For real? Qualiata? Yeah. Qualiata. That's, I had no idea. That's pretty great. 
I like yeah. that. Okay. I feel really bad that I didn't know that, too. I apologize. Yeah. I'm at the toilet now. There might be a bit of an echo. Yep. I do like the play by play. We've jumped the shark. Wow. That was that was so loud. I was not ready for that. So which way did it go? Um, I think it was more of a counterclockwise spinning. Oh, okay. Well, now I have to think about what it does here. <laughs> ben, ben, back me up. It goes clockwise, right? Sure. Sure. <laughs> Thanks. That's a, I honestly have no idea. I think we should move on from the bathroom. I thank you for the experiment, though, and that's what makes this podcast the best NBA team-specific weekly podcast in the world. Yeah, I don't hear a wodge flushing toilets on this podcast. Yeah, you don't hear this stuff on the vertical. You're not going to get this on the ringer. That's right. No. Moving on, our next question comes from Vincent McAuliffe, at Vince underscore McAuliffe. Uh, do you expect Reggie Bullock to be back after this year? This question was answered by Sean Core through the Detroit Bad Boys page. But I want to have a, a follow-up question to that about Reggie Bullock. I'll ask you, Ben. What role does he play next year, and is it similar to the role he's playing right now? Well, I think first and foremost, he's probably uh, Jody Meeks insurance. If Jody isn't healthy for whatever reason, it gives us a guy who can at least come off the bench and knock down a shot. Um, I also, I do am inclined to think that these last three games, he's going to get a little bit of an audition um, to see if he can prove that he can consistently do what he's done in limited minutes so far this year. And if he does that, then I think we might even see him um, maybe split a little bit of time at two and three, even if Meeks is healthy next year. Uh, because like we've talked about a lot, we, we need to upgrade the shooting, um, even if it's just bench players who can come in and spread the floor a little bit. So I think he's an insurance policy uh, with the potential of um, earning even more minutes uh, if he can prove over the next three games and into the playoffs. Um that it's not a fluke, that he really is capable of being a consistent contributor. Quags, do you agree? Do you see that being kind of the role he plays uh, in the future for the Pistons? He's going to get chances at the start of the season because he's, he's going to be here at least through summer league and, well, his contract is soon. He will be probably in the last 15. Mm-hmm. He, if we're sure Meeks is ever going to play basketball again, which I'm not sure at this point considering what's happened like I said on the website, I think he's just permanently injured and battling sporadic bouts of health instead of the other way around. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think Bullock will get the chance and probably be 20 minutes a game at the start and then sort of go from there, see how he plays. Yeah, I, I think it's fair, and I, th- I think it's a good role for him. I think it's low risk and a pretty high reward given how he's played uh, at the end of this season. So I, I like it. Um the Jody Meeks question for next year is big. I, I think that could be that could be a question going into the draft that could really matter for the Pistons and into free agency as well. If we don't see him being some being a player that can produce for us next season, I think it really changes the calculus for how we put the roster together next year. Uh, didn't have any Jody Meeks questions. We did have two great questions coming in the mailbag from at Rage Two K. Um, one is about playoff wins, so. I'm going to answer both of your questions, Rage, if you are listening. Uh, the first question is going to actually come from Lazarus Jackson at Last Chance on Twitter. How many playoff games can the Pistons win? How many playoff games should the Pistons win? So I'll break this one up. Quags, 16. 16. <laughs> how many can they win? True. 16. That is true. How many should they win? 
Probably one, but you know. <laughs> so one to sixteen. Yeah. Really zero, if we're being honest. That those are all of the chances. Well, that this we going have. to be the one aberration game where we just shoot eighty percent from three and LeBron cramps in the third quarter. But sure, that's very possible. Uh, ben, what are how many games can we win and how many should we win? Yeah, should we win? It's, if you went and did the math, it'd probably be something like 1.7 or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think you'd expect the Pistons to win at least one. Um, I think I, I'm going to be a little bit of a homer, I guess. I think it's possible. It's There's maybe, what, 15% chance that they could beat the Cavs. I don't think it's an impossible matchup. Mm-hmm. I think there's enough. Um, there's enough chance that the Pistons can shoot 40% from three mm-hmm. in four out of seven games. And if they do that, if they can do that, if they can shoot 40% from three in four out of seven games, it's a coin flip. They could, they could, they could take a series against Cleveland and pull a dramatic upset, but you know, 85% of the time Cleveland's going to win. So, um, they should win 1.7 or something like that. They'll probably win two. That would be my guess. Okay, well, winning two, I, I think that would be that would be great. I would love to see two playoff wins. If we can take a team to six in the first round, I think that's huge. And getting six games for this team, uh, six playoff games, is just experience going into next year when we should really start to assume the role of a contender in the Eastern Conference. That, that's that got to be good experience. It's, it's experience that I think is worth something. Uh, moving on a bit, I want to talk about Andre Drummond. I have a few questions uh, that focus on Drummond. Uh, the first is going to come from Vlad at Rage 2K. So I did promise I would get back to your, your other question. Do you think Drummond's free throw percentage will ever improve? And then he has two players that he uh, he mentions. Ben Wallace, best and worst seasons. 49% was his best. 30% was his worst. Shaq, 62% was his best season. 44% was his worst. Uh, and then you have Dre, 41% his best mark so far. 35.5% his low Ben, I will ask you, do you think Drummond's free throw percentage will ever improve? Hmm. Uh, does anyone remember Chris Dudley? Sure. Chris Dudley. Do you guys yeah. remember him? Notoriously horrible free throw shooter. Yes. I've seen, I've seen his name pop up whenever they put up the graphic of Drummond's worst free throw shooting, but I've never heard of him. Yeah, so I, I mean, time. I remember him. He retired at the end of 2003. He played a long time in the NBA. Um, he was a terrible free throw shooter. And he was all over the map. I mean, he'd be, he'd be, I think, like as low as 30% one year and up to 50-some percent the next year. So I think that's kind of the case with these guys who are really, really bad at shooting. They're just they're, There's nothing consistent about a bad shooter. So you can see these you know, crazy jumps of 8%, 10 12% between two or three years. So, yeah, I mean, I would say, yeah, it's going to improve in the sense that he'll probably have a season where he shoots 45 or 48% from the line. But over the long term, is he going to be a better free throw shooter consistently for the rest of his career? Um, I, I'm pretty skeptical. Uh, I'm afraid he's just a bad free throw shooter. Uh, and unless we can get Hypnowheel uh, hired by the Pistons to do some of that magic hypnosis, um, I'm afraid. I'm afraid he's just going to struggle a little bit. Yes, and, and for anyone who wants to learn a bit about sports psychology and hypnotherapy, listen to our last episode. It was great with Sean Wheeler. Uh, Hypno Wheel, as he's known in Detroit Bad Boys. Um, Quags, Andre Drummond's free throw shooting, of, of course it's a concern, and I think Ben's right that it, it's just not something you can say will will probably ever be consistent for him. 
What do you think could be the high watermark? What what should Drummond strive for as a free throw shooter? 50%, 60%? Is there a number you have in mind? Well, first of all, shout out to Dave Poplar. Is he actually still employed by us? I haven't heard anything about him in ages. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I haven't heard anything about Hopple either. Um, with how I do things in life is I always strive for 100%. So I think if Drummond's not trying for that, then that's just very bad. And then just settle with whatever you actually end up with. So if he strives for 100 and gets 40, then there's nothing you can do about it, really. I would say his best is probably going to be in the, the low 50s, if I'm being generous. Just from what I've seen, he could, he could blow up a planet with some of his misses. They're that hard and horrible. and It's like the second coming of the media that killed the dinosaurs. <laughs> Why doesn't he shoot underhanded? I, I seriously would like to... Like, it can't be worse than he's doing now. Right? It, it's like, a pride thing. It just feels... It's, it's gotta it be. Like a, like a Gumby. And I, I agree. I think it's completely pride that gets in the way. And I think it's that way for all of the big men who struggle to shoot. Because it does change just the physics of that shot. And I know that is part of the issue big men have with the free throw, sh- with the free throw shot. Underhanded, I feel like it could be so much easier, and it's something that if you could find a consistent rhythm, I can't believe I'm actually discussing this, but <laughs> I, I feel like if you could find something that works, who cares what it looks like? Yeah. Well, the thing about his mechanics, as we've discussed, is there's nothing wrong with them. Yeah. Like, he's not missing shots because he's got some sort of an awkward hitch or a tick. You know, literally let um, Shaq, the way he shot by the end of his career, that really awkward sort of stop-and-go motion that he had, that was unfixable. Drones mechanics aren't the problem, so if if continually practicing that mechanic is not working for you, it's time to try something else, in my opinion. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. That it, it's not working. You're right. So uh, maybe all of the hitches that we've taken out of his free throw, his three, his shot. Uh, maybe he needs to find something he's just comfortable with that he can rely on, even if it isn't completely by the book. Maybe maybe that's the answer now because his numbers are just so poor. I'd rather he's just comfortable at the line at this point. And then you see him making turnaround baseline buzzer beaters, and you think, "What the hell? Where's that at the free throw line?" Right, yeah. right. You see yeah, these. It's moments. not the mechanics. Is he's actually got one of the most fundamentally sound free throw strokes of any of the big men who have struggled at the line historically. I mean, you just watch him shoot, and he does all of the right things from you know his his minimal knee bend all the way up through the follow through. And it just doesn't work for him. If I had one criticism, it's probably his elbow flares out sometimes, but like, and that can make the variance a lot greater than what it should be. But right, I mean, you look at guys like Dwight Howard, and it's all wrist. And DeAndre Jordan, I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> Chuck Hayes, when he was playing, stopped halfway through, had a drink, and then kept going. So <laughs> it's definitely not the worst that we've seen. Yeah, it's true. It doesn't look bad. Uh, and again, it's just whatever works for you. If you can get to, for me, 50%. And I, I think that's the number that, that he should be looking for. If you can make half of them. And I know Stan Van says he's making more than half in practice, which again, maybe it's a mental question. And if you're looking for that answer, go to our last podcast episode and we've got a pretty good answer for you. Another drumming question coming from at Andre Andre drum on Twitter. Is Andre worth the max contract he is going to receive from the yes. Pistons this summer? Yes. Right? I think it's just a yes. I I don't think there's a question anymore that he is a max player. Um, If you can find someone who averages 16 and 16 and not pay them a max, then 
good luck. Absolutely. Completely agree. This is someone who now is going to be a perennial all-star in this league. Uh, I do wonder if he can be the best player on a championship team. And Ben, I know we've talked a bit about this. Uh, with what we've seen from him this season, if this is, you know, maybe this isn't peak performance out of Andre Drummond, but if this is close to what we're going to get from him in the next few seasons of the prime of his career, uh, is that good enough for him to be the best player on a championship team? Yeah, I think I've talked about the game as being three parts, right? What do you do when you have the ball? What do you do when the other team has the ball? What do you do when no one has the ball when it's a loose ball situation? And I think Andre Drummond is clearly dominant when no one has the ball, when it's a loose ball situation, which are mostly rebounding situation. He's not just a good player. He's not just a great player. He is a dominant rebounder. He's the best in the business right now. Mm -hmm. That fact alone puts him up there in the max conversation without any other questions. Uh, I think he's improving defensively. I think his shot blocking and his steals make him uh, valuable on the defensive side of the ball, and his team defense is improving. I don't think he's ever going to be Ben Wallace on that side of the ball, but I think he's going to be better than average. So you're going to have dominant rebounder, better than average team defender who gets blocks and steals. And then the question is his offense. And in my opinion, um, what I would like to see a year from now, because a year from now, after the Pistons have made the playoffs, their goal is going to be from going from 43, 44, 45 wins up to 48, up to 49, up to 50. Mm -hmm. And I would actually like to see them taper down Andre Drummond's role on the offensive side of the ball if his post game doesn't get any better. So with all of that said, yeah, he's worth the max. Yes, I think he can be the best player, air quotes around best, on a championship team if his role is tailored around being a dominant rebounder, uh, being a, a very good team defender, and then being a clean-up offensive player. I think if if Van Gundy's made one mistake that I haven't liked as a coach since he's been here, it's been overusing Andre Drummond because his skills just can't sustain the usage that they've tried to spoon-feed to him. And I understand there's a method to the madness. They're looking long-term, not short-term. But if his pole team doesn't improve, the solution is just to give him a few less looks. And in that situation, I think you've got sort of a Tyson Chandler type of a player. And Tyson Chandler was the best rebounder and the best defender on a championship team. So in that role, yes, absolutely. That's a very good point. And he, he can play into that role, but you're right, we have to give it to him, which means you have to have other players that can make up for some of the shortcomings of, of your star, of your star player. That's, that's just how it's going to have to go uh, into the offseason. So I've got a couple of offseason questions. Uh, this one will wrap up our mailbag. Thank you, everyone, for just sending everything in. It's, it was great. Uh, but our last mailbag question is from at Jabis uh, underscore uh, at Jabis underscore the Bis. Do you see any chance we go after better scores this offseason, like a Barnes or Beal, to play for SVG, or is that too expensive? I'm guessing we're talking about Harrison Barnes and Bradley Beal. Yeah, I was. I got caught on the Barnes, but I think it's probably Harrison. I think you're right. Right. I don't know why I thought Matt Barnes at first, and I don't see him playing the two in Detroit. So Harrison Barnes and Bradley Beal. Can you see the Pistons trying to make a splash for a player like that? No. No? No. Well, oh, to elaborate, hell no. Um, <laughs> they, 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 you look at our contract situation, Tobias, Reggie, Andre, they're all going to be earning double digits next year. Baines and Meeks... What happens with him? They're both. They're going to be combined another twelve. Mm-hmm. KCP is going to get paid in a year and a bit from now. Then you got whatever left over. I guess Morris's deal makes that kind of key in that we 
could maybe think about it, but I just don't see it happening ever. Yeah. Ben, do you, do you see any anything like that happening? Not in the next, like, five years anyway, with this core. Sure, with the current core. That was going after... Instead of going after a player this summer in free agency, we went after Tobias via trade, and I think that made that sense. Was the, that was the rushed off season. Mid-season. Yeah, exactly, and it made sense. It was a good, it was a good move. It's proved to be one, um, but they're not going to have a ton of money. I would like to see a Nicholas Batum type player. He's the guy who I think will, he'll probably get a bigger contract than we can afford to give. But a player who plays his role, a, a smooth shooter, who who is a, a solid team player, plays the game very smartly, and is a good defender. So, I mean, I'm thinking probably five to eight million dollar contracts, maybe. Two guys in that range uh, is probably what we're going to add instead of, you know, one big name scoring player who's going to command more than we're willing to pay and more than we're able to pay. Do you see one of those two players being a shooting guard? I possibly could. I hope we go for one and three, personally. I think sure. backup point guard has to be the first thing on the agenda. Um, and then I've, I I've think... made my views very clear on this subject, but yeah. Yeah, I know you like you like Delhi. I get it. I and I would be fine with that actually. I think he'd be a very competent backup point guard. But I think the backup point guard situation—we're not going anywhere serious until we fix that. I, I kind of have. An, I just had an idea just then. If we're looking at someone who wants to, who we want to be a bit of an every, <clears throat> be a bit of an everything man off the bench. I don't know when he's a free agent, but Evan Turner could be like a light version of Nicholas Batum. Maybe not as good a shooter, but definitely he gets assists and rebounds, and he's actually quite good in the mid range mm-hmm. and at the rim. And I know he's a bit of a bust in terms of second overall pick, but if you look at what he's done for Boston, I think he could be someone. I never thought I'd say this, but I wouldn't actually mind going after him. Yeah, Evan Turner, I think would be great, and he is a, a free agent; should be available this summer. I, I'm sure there are a lot of potential, you know, playoff teams or teams in the mix that will look at someone like that. Uh, because it is nice to have someone who can handle the ball as well as he can, shoot relatively well, and, and play good defense. And that's the type of player I think we need at that three spot. Uh, and then, of course, we need to, to find the answer at the backup point guard spot. Yeah, he's, he's kind of he kind of is your backup point guard playing the small forward because he's, what, 6'7", and he's, right. he kind of runs their bench offense anyway. Right, and he takes the pressure off of what other backup guards you bring in that don't have to be the primary ball handler and can just initiate offensive plays and, and have someone else find their shot, which is nice. And it would be and nice to find a player like that. And uh, shoot 44% from three like a Tito There you go. And also yeah, and shoot see, like that. The problem with Turner is that he shoots about half of what Dolovadova does. 22.8% from three this season. So Ooh, I'm yeah, not... That's the, uh, yeah. I like him better in a vacuum than I do playing for Stan Van Gundy. I actually really like Evan Turner. I was so high on him coming out of college. I, I was too. I saw shades of Grant Hill in his game, but yeah, the shooting is just a big, a big challenge. Mm-hmm. And the, I'm just looking at his numbers now. He's actually pretty good until you get to the three. He's 43% in the short mid range and then 39% when you get a bit longer, longer. So he's not completely terrible. And I think that is a lot of his shots anyway. He doesn't take many threes yeah, to begin with, take so many threes up, yeah. it could be minimized, I guess, the impact if you just put better shooters around in, like, future backup point guard, maybe Reggie Bullock if he comes, or Jody Meeks, or whatever happens there. Mm-hmm. Anthony Tolliver if he comes back. No, you, you there? Yeah, I just finished speaking. Oh, okay, I just... It, I, 
No, it <laughs> went. It went talking. right. I'm just done talking. No, it just went so much quieter than it usually does. Usually, there's a little bit of like at least ambient noise in the background. Please keep that in there. Oh, I will. I will. No, I'm just done talking. That was perfect. Uh, the one thing I, I did want a bit of this summer, and it, it leads me into the next thing I wanted to talk a bit about, is just a bit of luck for the Pistons. Landing a player through free agency that maybe is undervalued in the league, or finding someone in the draft that can give something immediately to the team, uh, something that probably was unfair of to ask out of Stanley Johnson this season, but to find a rookie who can give us something right away. And you need a bit of luck to do that. And I was reminded today about how much luck is involved in the NBA when Sam Hinkie released his resignation, the 13-page letter of absolute insanity. And I'm not sure uh, (coughs) if anyone has read it. You have to if you're a hardcore basketball fan. It's something you at least need to find, you know, some footnotes. You you need to find uh, what he said to the owners of the Philadelphia 76ers and also just talking about the process in Philadelphia. But you do need a bit of luck. If you want to win an NBA title, you need to find that luck. And for the Pistons, it's you're at the point now that you need to find that Draymond Green type player, someone that can start as a role player and become much more. And I'm not sure where that player comes from, but we're at a spot now that we probably can't buy that person. Right, Ben? It's just financially we're probably not going to be able to pay someone who's already at that caliber in the league. No, that's exactly correct. I mean, so after this summer, we'll essentially have locked into a a number of contracts. That means we will not have the flexibility to make a big splash anytime soon. So you're looking at um, a playoff team, hopefully, Mm -hmm. um, who's picking in the the latter half of the first round and in the second round. And then you're looking at mid-level exception players and biannual exception players and vet minimum players. So yes, you need to you need to, need to find that veteran who you know has already had his two or three big contracts and wants to contribute on a small you know a small contract at the end of the bench on a playoff team, or you need to get lucky in the draft and find you know find a Mehmet Okor or a Jonas Derebko or one of those players who can fill a key role in your rotation, not necessarily as a star, mm-hmm. but as a quality player. So yes, you absolutely do have to get lucky. Um, and, and it gets even harder because you're not working with a top 10 draft pick. So you need to be really good in terms of your, your scouting and your analysis, and then you just got to get lucky uh, and hope that you know one of those guys that you've evaluated becomes the best-case scenario that you had projected. So now if we are a playoff team for someone that can contend for 40 to 45 wins, it's that next step, the 46 to 50, uh, that we have to figure out. And I think it, it's going to take another piece to do that. And I'm not well, sure where that piece comes from right now. Yeah, I, was gonna, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I apologize. No, go ahead. The other thing is that the Pistons have, and we've talked about this a lot as well, really, really friendly, trade-friendly, friendly, cap-friendly contracts and players. So we've got several pieces that uh, could easily be flipped and combined into upgrades, you know, so long as Van Gundy doesn't get too sentimental and too too wrapped up and committed to guys. And I think we saw it kind of saw Dumars do that a little bit. You look at the the Tayshawn extension and the Rip extension, mm-hmm. you know, maybe got a little overcommitted to certain players. Uh, but I think, you know, Van Gundy and Bauer are, are proven to be pretty shrewd in terms of general managers. So definitely some trade-friendly options in the coming years as well. The Morris contract is so good for that in terms of getting it, like bundling it with someone else and getting, like, your, your main, like your fifth guy in the starters or, like, your main bench guy if you wanted to do that. Absolutely, and I like Morris as a player and as a contract, and 
I think the same can be said for Jody Meeks if he gets healthy. If he comes out next season and plays for 20 straight games and contributes well, he's a bargain at 7 or $8 million a year and a very nice trade chip for uh, you know maybe a playoff team out west who wants to add a second-string shooting guard. And frankly, I, I mean, I know we don't want to uh, offend Quag here, but Aaron Baines is, is similar. Uh, a very friendly contract and a, a high-caliber second you know, backup big man. So lots of players who could be uh, flipped into those incremental upgrades that get you from that 44 to that 48 wins. I heard you crying, and I ignored you. Just just shoot me right in the heart. <laughs> well, what if we get rid of Baines, but we add Della Vadova? Right? Right? <laughs> that you, actually, you actually had to stop and think about that. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I actually watched Cleveland purely to watch him play. Other than that, I could not care less what happens to that team. That's great. That's I, fair. That's fair, though. I, I can live with that. Yeah. But but I don't watch Golden State for Boga because Golden State annoys me now. They're too good. They're too good. This is starting to happen. I, I don't know how. I didn't expect it, I should say. I didn't expect it to happen so quickly with Golden State that people would just kind of be just, just done with their success. And they haven't even hit the record yet or, you know, gone for the second straight title. And It's it, just annoying. <laughs> they've got the Spurs you, tonight, you guys. Never get to that At level. home, that is going to be a ball game. <clears throat> yes, huge game. Uh, that's a very big game. It's mainly because you know you're never going to get to that level, so you just want to hate them because they're better than you and you can never be that. See, I'm the exact opposite. I... I always say this to people, I'm a basketball fan before I'm a Pistons fan or before I'm a Wolverines fan or anything else. I, I love the game of basketball, and I have since I under, could understand what it was. So, like, the 72-win Bulls, I loved watching them. And mm-hmm. I know people are going to want me to turn in my Pistons fan card, and I get it. <laughs> and I feel the same way about the Warriors. The way that they play the game, it's it's perfection. And, and I'm not sick of it. I, I love it. Yes, the Euros. I won that Bulls team. Does that make you feel old? Yeah, that's not the only thing. Um, my back, my knees, and my ankles. Also <laughs> right, just those constant like physical reminders of age. But yeah, no, I didn't get to see much of the, that Bulls team either. But I, I love, I, I love the Golden State Warriors. Just the product on the floor. I think it's great. I like the personalities. I really like Draymond Green. Steph Curry, I think, is a great superstar. I don't know if he will be a great superstar for the next generation of of players because now I think the the three-point shooting numbers are going to get really ridiculous when there's just this pipeline of kids who have been trying to, you know, emulate Steph Curry in the gym for, you know, their entire basketball career. Uh, So I'm not sure how that will affect basketball in the end, but I like Golden State, and I hope we get a seven-game Spurs-Warriors series in the playoffs because that could be really great. Uh, And I hope it actually, you know, I hope that is the Western Conference Finals because that would be some fantastic basketball. Can I just straighten something out? Mm. I don't hate the Warriors. I just, like, I love watching the Warriors. I watched that game against Oklahoma City where Curry hit that half-court winner. That was absolute madness. Mm Mm-hmm. It just annoys me slightly because it. I don't know how they can be so good, like so historically good over the course of this season. When I'm watching the Pistons try to figure out how to beat the Lakers and, and almost not do it, so that that's just yeah. That's actually, fair. no, the Warriors lost to the Lakers as well, so I retract that point. <laughs> right, we've both done that this season, and the Pistons actually beat the Warriors this season too. That game is recorded on my TV. I can't believe it was televised to you. That's great. Wow. Yeah, that, that is crazy. That that was uh, a, a huge win. And also, now and seeing the, the issues that 
Golden State has had. I think part of it's just focus. It, over 82 games, I think it's just so difficult to be this good. And I'm not sure that we'll see. I, I never expected a team to, to really compete for 72 wins. And the fact that they still have a shot at 73 is it's pretty amazing. But they have the Spurs twice, so that really makes me question whether they'll get that. Right, right. Yeah, and I, I think uh, with the Spurs, it'll be interesting if they rest their starters for that second game, if they win the first. I, I, it'll be interesting how Pops handles that, uh, knowing that it, again, is the likely Western Conference Finals right now. Uh, but again, when you look at Golden State, you have to remember that just a few seasons ago, their superstar had ankle issues and there was no guarantees where his career was going. Clay Thompson was someone that was terrible defensively and his three-point shooting numbers, uh, you know, there was a bit of inconsistency there and people were saying he relied too much on his three-point shooting. Uh, they had Andrew Bogut, didn't have Iggy, Draymond was just a bench player. It, it didn't look like that team was going anywhere. What was that? Monte Ellis was in the backcourt with Curry. Oh, sure. Before, yeah, right, that run of Monte Ellis, too. So I think that was a team that looked like a mediocre Western Conference playoff team not that long ago. So, so what you're saying is Pistons 2020. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. It's Pistons 2020. I might even go as far as to say Pistons 2019. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel pretty good about where we're at right now. I know I've got quite a bit of dead air and just confusion from some of the recording issues to cut out, but yeah. Anyway. So I've got one thing, if you don't mind, it'll take me like two minutes. I wanted no, to go quickly talk about, okay. I wanted to quickly talk about point guard defense and you can cut this and put it wherever you want, but sure. Um, yeah. So I wanted to take a second and talk about, um, point guard defense because, um, from my perspective, other than three point shooting, this is the thing that is um, most concerning about where the team is at right now. And I think actually quite relevant to the playoffs and whether or not we can make any noise there. So um, thinking about the playoff matchups, if we, if we get Toronto, we've already talked about them having sort of a star studded backcourt in particular, Kyle Lowry, who fantastic point guard, um, one of the elite point guards in the NBA, probably top three, top four point guard in the NBA. Um, If we end up matched up against the Cavs, um, then we've got, of course, Matthew Del. I mean, Kyrie Irving, excuse me, <laughs> Kyrie Irving and Matthew Dellavedova to worry about. Uh, and uh, and I don't raise this point to pick on Reggie Jackson because I've kind of been one of the louder critics of, of some of his play over the last year and a half. Um, Steve Blake is obviously challenged on the defensive side of the ball as well. But I think in all of the stories that have been talked about this year, I think one of the things that's flown under the radar is just how poor our defense has been at the point guard position as a whole mm-hmm. uh, and looking forward at the playoffs, if we can shoot the ball well and we can defend well at the point guard position, I think we really have a chance. Uh, and, but just unfortunately we haven't been doing that. So looking at the last three games, I already talked about our shooting. When we shoot well, we win. Unfortunately, our point guard defensive play has been absolutely terrible. So against Chicago, for example, uh, an aging Aaron Brooks, who's 31 years old, and still very quick and capable even at that age, uh, scored 14 points in just under 16 minutes of play. Um, you know, those kind of lapses are going to cost games in a seven-game series. Now, very fortunately, difficult. we were able to win against Chicago, and it didn't cost us the game, and obviously that was a very critical game. But then next we played the Heat, and Drogic been fantastic for a number of years now, um, but he was borderline dominant against the Pistons. He had 22 points on 15 shots, and also racked up eight assists. 
Uh, and Scary was allowed to go four for four from deep. Mm. And, you know, sometimes shooters just get hot and they make shots, but Dragic really was just able to get whatever he wanted, uh, whenever he wanted against the Pistons' uh, backcourt. And then most recently against the Magic, in spite of the fact that we were able to win that game in large part due to the bench, Alfred Payton, who, you know, fine young player in his own right, but it's a kid who's averaging 10 points a game. Um, he really blew up on us, 17 points on 13 shots. And the scary part of that is that nine of those shots were inside 15 feet. And even worse of that, eight of those shots were within three feet. And he was able to score six of eight buckets inside of, of three feet from the basket. So just thinking about this in perspective of long-term team building and thinking about this in the really immediate short term uh, of trying to put some scare into somebody into the playoffs, um, our defense at the point guard position has to be a point of emphasis. It's literally where defense starts every single possession. Uh, and Reggie Jackson in particular, I think, needs to man up and needs to step up his play here um, because in spite of the fact that we've been better defensively than anyone thought, I don't think the team defense is good enough to compensate for consistent breakdowns at the point guard slot. So I think this has got to be something Van Gundy and Bauer are thinking about from a personnel perspective and a coaching perspective over the next six months, because I think it'll be pivotal uh, in whether or not the Pistons are able to go from this 44 win team that we think we have now to the 54 win team that we'd like to see two years from now. I yeah. totally agree. Um, I'm going to soapbox it a little bit here. I've noticed, like, if you look at the Dallas game, J.J. Barea absolutely went crazy on us as well and didn't slow down until we switched KCP on him. And I don't think we can afford to keep hiding Reggie and wasting KCP on the point guards when there are just as good shooting guards in the league then we're going to eventually pay the price. And this is why I'm an advocate for Delevedover in the offseason because he's a good defender, but broader than just him, this is why I'd probably wouldn't want someone like Brandon Jennings or DJ Augustine or I've seen Ish Smith been thrown around as well because they're just not good defenders. And if we're struggling so much in the starting unit for point guard defense, we come in the bench and it's just as bad, if not worse, because they're all relatively small, then we're going to be giving up like 25 points a game just from starting point guards. And also it affects Drummond because he has to come out and help him and that leaves his, his man to just feast on easy putbacks and, lobs and that's why I think his defense is slightly unfairly criticized because he's often drawn out of position because Reggie and how much time they spent on the court Steve Blake they they can't stay in front of their men so Drummond has to come and help and then that leaves his man open that's very true yeah and you're right it's the guys like JJ Barea that seem to be killing us and it's probably because they those types of players who maybe they're not the number one scoring option uh point guards who aren't the number one scoring option for their teams they don't draw the immediate attention of the Pistons probably in film and KCP does not get the assignment for the night. And I just think it's unfair to think KCP should needs to, you know, needs to be on that best player every night when we know that he's such a good wing defender. That's where we should stick him. Uh, so Ben, you're right. I think it goes back onto Reggie Jackson that he has to become a better defender. There's no reason he's not a better defender. Uh, he's got the length to do it. Uh, and it seems at times that when he's focused on that end, but maybe we're asking too much of him offensively. Is, could that be part of the reason that he seems to have struggles on the defensive end? 
Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Um, I think his conditioning has definitely been an issue, and, and we learned about some of those health, health issues a couple weeks ago. Uh, so maybe there's a conditioning factor at play that's a result of him carrying such a heavy load on offense. That's absolutely possible. I, I do think also, though, um, Reggie has shown glimpses of being a very good defender, and when that's occurred, Van Gundy has been very quick to praise him in the media. So mm-hmm. he's, he's done a good job of, of some of that positive reinforcement. So I, I think some of it is a matter of um, does Reggie Jackson understand what it takes to be the kind of player who's earned the right to pop off when you beat the Oklahoma City Thunder at home? And I think on the defensive side of the ball, to me, and this is just purely an eye test thing, he doesn't look nearly as engaged uh, mentally and physically fighting through a pick and roll as he does when he's got the ball on the other side of the floor. Uh, coming off of a pick and roll with the ball in his hands. He looks much more engaged, much more focused with the ball in his hands uh, than he does without. And I I think um, it's not a skill gap. It's not because he doesn't have the athleticism. I I think he really has to learn and he needs to be taught. And I I think a lot of that's going to be breaking down game film. Um, You know, Van Gundy's got a task ahead of him to to figure out what what is the way that I can share this message with, with Reggie that he's going to be able to hear. So it's finding the right uh, method of teaching, the right method of explaining, because all of the physical tools are there for him to be at least an average defender, uh, especially in the pick and roll. Yeah, it's not like he's small or anything. He's got amazing size. He's 6'3", 2'10", I think it is. He's got nearly 40 pounds on Jennings, and that says a lot. And we know Jennings is really small. But he's also got that, I think it's reported, seven-foot wingspan. I haven't yeah, his wingspan's that fantastic. Officially mm-hmm. measured anywhere. But, yeah, he really should be a far better defender than he actually is. And there are examples of guys who do it both ends on the floor. I know we talk about health issues or whatever's going on with him. But guys like Conley, Chris Paul, like they, they pretty much carry the offenses half the time, or Paul most of the time. And he's still as close to a lockdown as you can probably get at the point guard. So... I think he can definitely do it if he, unless he does have some serious health issue that we don't know about. Maybe that could be part of it. I haven't even thought about health playing into it. I, I do worry about just his usage on the offensive end, but there are players like Russell Westbrook and John Wall that the entire, you know, there, there's just stretches where they get so much use offensively and they can still give a, enough effort defensively that they aren't, you know, just pylons. And I worry yeah, about I Reggie think sometimes. We could go back that. through the majority of the Pistons games this year. And I think we would see opposing point guards tend to be much more productive against the Pistons than they are relative to their season averages. And I I think that's just a weak spot right now. It's a very clear weak spot that needs to be improved. You know, I'd be all for bringing in a guy like Chauncey Billups over the summer to work with a guy like Reggie Jackson on defense, because just thinking about um, athleticism, Reggie is a much more athletic player Chauncey was probably stronger in his heyday. Reggie's arguably quicker, longer, and those are all the things you'd want on the defensive side of the ball to be effective. So I, I really do think there's a, a learning issue. He needs to learn how to be a better defender. He needs to learn how to position his body and his footwork to get around screens and those kinds of things because I do think the physical tools are there. Well, yeah. We could just draft Gary Payton Jr. and have his dad come in with him. <laughs> there you go. Right. It's a package deal. It has to be. Yeah, that would be. We need someone like that. You're right, and it could just be a situation where we need a mentor at this point to to guide him on the defensive end. 
because as long as we pair him with KCP, if KCP is taking the best wing, it, it's going to be on Reggie to take the point guard. It, it's asking too much of KCP to continually have to switch on to whichever player is killing us worst at any given stretch of basketball. So it's something we have to look into this summer and fix. Really so I just had something really quickly. It's probably going to be like a five-minute thing, Max. No, go ahead. Um, uh, if we do cement the playoffs against the Wizards, do you guys reckon that Vengani will probably consider resting anyone? I don't think he will, but it could be like an option considering Reggie's struggles with conditioning. Yeah, I, I could see against Miami, and I think part of it will depend on just the the playoffs, the playoff standings and just what the picture looks like. If we have a shot at the seven seed, maybe it's something we push for, uh, really 42 wins to 44 wins. I don't think there's enough of a difference there that it's something we really need to accomplish. So it is interesting that if we do clinch against Washington, what do we do with those next two games? If, especially if we have Cleveland, do we really want to show our hand and and play our starters full minutes, uh, knowing we've got a playoff series with them to follow? Yeah, I, I'm inclined to think what you might see is like four to six minutes reduction across the board for the starters. Um, the reality is, though, that, I mean, Steve Blake is, is probably not capable of going out and playing 30 minutes um, at this point in his career. You don't want to totally run him down and run him out uh, of speed either because you're going to need him for stretches in the playoffs. So I'm inclined to think you, you're more likely to see just an across-the-board four- or six-minute reduction than you do, like, you know, running out the second unit for 30 minutes a game. That's just my take on it. Just get Dinwiddie a few more minutes here and there. And whatever ha- whatever's happened to Lorenzo Brown, if he's still around or whatever's going on with him. Low Brown. I know. I wanted to see him in action. And it, this could be a good stretch of games. But I'm not sure if his second 10-day contract has expired, if he's even still on the team. <laughs> well, I think the other thing you don't want to do is – is put players in the mentality of these games don't matter and, and start to ingrain like sure. lazy habits and those kinds of things. So that's, that's really easy, you know, to take sort of one week and, and then undo a whole bunch of habits over the course of one week. So I think, I think you, you play your starters just a reduced number of minutes, but the expectation is that when they're playing, they're going all out. You're working on sets in a game situation and those kinds of a thing. They kind of need to get, like, you can't have them cold going into the playoffs as well. You want to get them some kind of run. Yeah. So I think you rest them, but you don't you don't pull a, a Greg Popovich rest them and, you know, rest them for the whole game. Actually Maybe. sit them for the game. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I like that idea. And I think it's good for the bench as well if they see more minutes against Miami and Cleveland. That could be good uh, for the bench unit as well to, to get extended time leading into uh, the postseason. Yeah, especially if, if we are drawing Cleveland, because I, I'm just not sure as a coach how you handle the last game of the season against a team that you are about to start a seven-game series with. I'm not I'm not sure what you do, because you really don't want to tip your hand, although... It, I, don't th- I don't think there'll be much that they would expect to be different. That we, we play, that's, we're division rivals, so we play them a lot anyway. Exactly. And like, scouting is so advanced these days, you're not going to suddenly see Joel Anthony out there popping threes and thinking where this come from. <laughs> right. And I was Maybe going to say. Maybe we should, though, Quag. Maybe we should. <laughs> we need a stretch five. Maybe Baines. Maybe that's Baines' role in the, in the postseason. It's not totally unlikely with him. I mean, he's got that mid-range. Just step a few feet back. Just a few more feet back. Right. The corner threes. That's where he needs to start. 
that's the next step for him as well. Start hitting corner threes. Uh, we need a stretch five. <laughs> Drummond's 33%, isn't he? One for three? Is he one for three? That, oh, yeah, I was going two to for add. six, isn't he? Oh, is he? Okay. Two for six. Wow, he's taking he's, six three-pointers. He's, he's got the half court and the three-quarter court. So the solution, then, is to have him shoot free throws from half court? Is that what you're saying? It's too close. <laughs> that's that's the problem with the free throw line. That's what everyone's been saying. <laughs> you're right. That's the issue. Uh, but, yeah, Quags, you're right. It's I, I, There's nothing that the Pistons could really show in a, la- in a, in a season finale. Uh, yeah, in a regular season finale. Uh, just because of scouting, and it's not a single game elimination, that I think that would change it a bit. But um, and nothing's going to catch them off guard. Exactly, they they know what to expect. We we know what to expect at this point. All right, well, thanks guys, thanks for joining me for another episode, and we'll be coming to you with another episode next week as the season winds down and we get ready for the playoffs. Magic number is one. Let's hope we can erase that and celebrate the playoffs tomorrow night. Against yeah. Washington. One last question. Quag, if the G is silent, is it just qua? Yeah, so in, in, in most Italian names, because that's what it is, oh. if there's a G followed by an L, the G is usually silent. That's good to know. I, di- I did not realize that. So should we just be saying your nickname, qua? Right, I was just going to ask that. <laughs> is it quas? Should we be saying qua or quas? You can say whatever you want. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Well, thanks. Don't call me Benji. Anything else is fine. Okay. Benji's not going to happen. That's uh, not a a dog. I can relate to that one. I feel you. And thank you for waking up and coming on the podcast, too. I appreciate it. Yeah, I set alarms just in case it wasn't going to (laughs) happen. That's how important this is. I hope people realize that all it takes to to put together a, a Detroit Bad Boys podcast episode. Uh, but thank you, everyone, for continuing to support our podcast. Uh, ben, anything you want to say to everyone before we leave for another week? Playoffs, baby. Yeah, playoffs are, should be right around the corner, and let's hope we can uh, we can guarantee them after Friday night's game. So thanks, everyone, and gentlemen, I will be talking to you soon. Thanks.